you're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Long Expected Jesus, an Advent devotional and lectionary-based resource for church communities. Long Expected Jesus invites the people of God to spend four weeks slowing down, waiting patiently, and praying expectantly in anticipation of our coming Savior. Contributors include some of our past guests on this show, Michael Palmer, Dr. Carla Sundberg, Deanna Hayden, and myself, Britt Bullerjack. You can order Long Expected Jesus for your community at thefoundrypublishing.com. Today on the podcast, we're hearing from Eric and Kayla Smith, who both minister at Hermitage Church of the Nazarene outside Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Eric Smith. He's the worship media pastor at Hermitage Church of the Nazarene in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, uh, I was invited by my cousins to be uh, to our local Church of the Nazarene. We had never been to a Church of the Nazarene before, and so um, they... It's a very Southern thing for just families to go all to the same church. And so, you know, they knew we had moved out to uh, to their neck of the woods and knew that we weren't going anywhere. And so they invited us. They invited myself and my brother. And so we've been going to a church in the Naz- Well, I have ever since. It was uh, 2002 is when we got invited. Mm. And we've uh, it's been our church home or my church home ever since. Um, my brother and the, has bounced around, but me and my mom have pretty much stayed uh, faithful to to it. It was the first church I can remember ever feeling attached to. Hmm. Yeah, it was you know just a family invite. That's great. That's great. So tell me about your call to ministry. How did you end up wanting to be a pastor? That is an interesting story. Um, it's not interesting how it began. Uh, basically, I was running from a call. Mm. So my pastor, who is still the person I would say is my biggest mentor, mm-hmm. he, uh, he actually forced me to go to NYC 2007. <laughs> he, he knew that I was, you know, I was destined for something, but I didn't know it. Mm. I didn't want to know it. I wanted to, I'd made plans to stay at home, I had to, uh, to go to community college, to be in the IT field and to make money. Yeah. You know, that was the plan. Well, he uh he he made sure that all the fundraising was needed and that all the stuff was in line for, uh, for me to go to NYC. So, he knew something was up. Well, during NYC 2007 uh is when I would say that uh I answered the call. Mm. Uh we were sitting on the bowl of the Edward Jones Dome on the last evening service. Um, I don't remember much about what was going on. Uh, all I remember is that I knew that I wanted to be involved in mentoring and leading people the way I've been mentored and led. Mm. And so this was late July, and so I answered the call. I found myself face down on the floor of that arena saying, God, it's yours. 
Mm. You know, I don't know what you have for me. I'm a, I'm not what I would call a pastor's type. And so from there, I just, that that's the call. I would also call that my moment of sanctification. Mm. Uh, it's, it's the place I say like, okay, I'm done being passive about this. Yeah. You know, this is it. And so that was late July and I'd gone home and I started the process of enrolling at Trevecca. You know, this was, we were three weeks out from the fall term starting at Trevecca and my pastor pushed hard. He was on the board of trustees at the time. And so he pushed hard to make sure that I got, you know, the scholarships that I needed were there, that Mm. the classes were there, that there was space. And as much as like I say, he was heavily involved. God was heavily involved in all of that Mm. because like, there's no way now that we would ever expect someone to like drop what they had been doing and then try to enroll that fast with no financial plan, no understanding of what you're doing. But I did. Wow. I can't. I can't say my. I can't say my family understood what was going on. Uh, <laughs> my mom was proud. My grandparents were proud. My dad not so much sometimes, mm. but he was supportive anyway. He didn't understand, but he was. He, he, he loves us, he loves me, and so he was supportive of it. Mm. But yeah, so I found myself in the turn of three weeks in, from Valley, Alabama to Nashville, Tennessee, enrolled at Trevecca uh, in a youth ministry program. And so that's the, that's the initial part. But one of the things that I found very interesting for me is that I started as youth ministry. I was like, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. Like, every, you know, it's just the thing that everyone wants to do. Yep. But I, I went through and I did all the classes and they were interesting enough. And then I did the internship and I was like, it was fun. But at the end of it, I was like, this isn't what I need to be doing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a youth pastor guy. I'll help you lead a small group for youth, for teens, but I'm probably going to be more geared towards adults. Yeah. And so uh, I worked really hard with the dean, and I pretty much used all of my credits for my minor to get a pastoral ministries minor, as well as my youth ministries minor, and all my credits for ordination. Mm. And so when I graduated, I was dual prepared to figure out how to deal with this stuff yeah. and find, find my place in the church. And from there on, like God has just moved and sent us in weird ways and weird places. He sent me and Kayla to, to Florida where we, or I learned to be a discipleship pastor. I learned to run a church office. Mm-hmm. I learned to uh, be, I learned to be called. Mm. And that, that's huge for us because like I'm not a youth pastor and I was in full-time ministry, but the, the roles that we were, we were given, the roles that I was pushed into by mentors and by friends and by bosses um, it's just proven to me that God is a God who calls, mm. and we're meant to answer. Uh, one of the craziest things, and I'm, I'm not called to be a senior adult pastor at all, but I was tasked for six months with preaching in our local nursing homes Oh wow! When, while we were in Florida. Our, our church had relationships with three nursing homes, and I was tasked with taking over two of them. Oh. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Are you kidding me? You're, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to send this, like, this... 21, 22-year-old kid out to preach in nursing homes, and I have no idea how to do this. I'm a hyper-introvert. Like, it's one thing to sit at a pulpit and to preach from the pulpit. I'm fine with that. Mm. But to be able to be on the floor 
to be in this community room with people. It's, it's a totally different experience. Yeah. And I was so nervous when I started. And there were days I hated it. There were days where like I did the sermon prep and like Sunday came and the service at the church was over and I had to leave early to go to the other service at the nursing homes. And I didn't like it. Mm. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. But those were the days that the Spirit said, I don't care. You're called. And he would always move in ways that were so spooky and supernatural. And one of my fondest memories of that time was being able to give, like, hand serve the Eucharist Mm. to people who had not been awake for anything that I was saying. (laughs) For... (laughs) For, for people, for people that, for the, these lovely old ladies that had, they had no family in the world left. Mm. They'd been, they'd been left in this home. And I was in a place where I didn't want to be there, but that was the day we were going to serve communion. Mm. And when I said the body of the Lord, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ shed for you and broken for you. And I hand fed them and hand gave them the juice. Mm. It broke down every notion of what we are supposed to be doing. And it just said, this is the church. This is the call. It's mm. the call to serve, the call to be willing to do this. And those moments are the place that like, I know like, are all doubts and all times that's like, this is ridiculous for all the politics that are in church. Those moments are the ones that remind us of our call. And so from there, well, we spent a good two and a half years in Florida, learned a lot. We grew a lot. Mm. I mean, it was just, it was a very hard time, but it was a wonderful time. We met lifelong friends, people that are our mentors that we keep up with daily that we've spread all across the country since then, and we don't, we don't miss a beat. But I'm not in full-time ministry anymore Yeah. after that experience, after, after Florida. And I was like, I never thought I'd find myself bivocational. Mm. Like, I was like, okay, we're going to be full-time. Cool. This church gave us a full-time gig out of Florida, out of university, and it's never come to pass again. And so we're back up here in Nashville and, you know, trying to find our way, trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing, what churches should go to. I'm working really hard to make sure I don't miss any ordination credits, any ordination time served, bouncing around churches, you know, never finding the place that we really belong, trying to force our way into places. And then I'm at, I'm at work teaching a little class at Trevecca, and the worship pastor at Hermitage comes up to me and says, you know, you're really good at this. You want to come? You want to come serve with us at Hermitage? I'm like, like it hadn't even been on our radar because it's a massive church for what we're from. We're from like 80 people churches, and this place is huge. I mean, they're running, you know, depending on the week, three to 500 people, and wow. that's massive for us. It's maybe small to other people, but and so I was like, sure, we'll check it out, and we haven't looked back since. Mm. Like it's the it, it's another reminder for us that we are called to listen. God provided the path for us to find employment back in Nashville. He provided all the resources we needed. All we had to do was be patient enough to wait for his spirit to lead someone else to call out to us. 
Mm. And so um, it hasn't always been perfect. I mean, getting adjusted to the the size of things has been difficult sometimes, but like Sam Green is the worship pastor here and he, he called, he, he called me and he, he knew when he, he didn't know that I was an ordained elder, that I was looking for ordination. I wasn't ordained at the time. He didn't know I had any background in pastoral ministries. He's like, he just knew that I could help them with their sound and their technology. And I was like, I have a call. And he's like, so he didn't know that, but he, he knew exactly my place and he makes sure that we're involved and we're able to help not only with the take my technical skills and bring that to pass in the church, but he also allows us to help shape our worship services mm. with the with, with my background, with my theological background and my theological training. And like it's just another example of you know listening and just being called and being allowed, allowing the spirit to to push us into new places and to new lessons. Yeah. And so uh that's that's my call story. You know, I'm called all the time to be called. And uh I hope I'm faithful enough to listen. Gosh, I love that. That's great. Um is well, Kayla home? Yeah. Can maybe can I interview you both? Is that weird? No, that's fine. Look, if she's willing, let's do it. Okay, cool. Hey, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Good. So, Kayla, tell me about you. How did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Um, so I ended up in the Church of the Nazarene because my grandfather was an associate pastor at a really small church in Alabama. Um my family came from the Missionary Alliance Church first. Okay, yeah. And I, I think he just kind of happened upon this church, and he liked it, and he um, served there. Honestly, I really have no idea if he was, like, ordained or licensed. I have no clue. <laughs> I know. It was a very small church. Um, so, yeah, he was there. When my parents divorced, my mom ended up going there with us. I have mm. three siblings and me, so uh-huh. the four of us and my mom were there. Um, and I fell in love with it. So when we started doing camps and retreats and stuff like that, and I saw that it was a more global church, um, I'm like connectedness is my top strengths finder thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm all about this church. They've got people everywhere. (laughs) So, so I'm actually the only one in my family, me and and my sister now, she Uh goes to our church. Um, but otherwise everyone else in my family doesn't go to the church of the Nazarene anymore. So well, um, kind of tell me about your call story. How did you end up wanting to be a pastor? Right? It's not expected. I think <laughs> that is probably how I could say it. Um, so I I would assume that if you've talked about your call, you talked about NYC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So at the same NYC, I I experienced more of a like, okay, God, I'll, I'll just give you whatever, whatever you want from me. I don't know what that's going to look like, mm. but okay. And I studied special education at Trevecca. Um, my dad is a special educator, and I knew my whole life that's what I wanted to do. So I kind of assumed that that's what I would be doing, um, that I'd be a good layperson. Mm. And um, then Eric and I got married, and we I feel like we really quickly developed that, like, his – we we feel that his call is our call. Like it's mm. our like this is our ministry, our things to do, our 
-hmm. our people to love and serve Mm -hmm. um, together. So um, when we went to Florida, I think we would both articulate it as, you know, that was, that was us being called into Mm -hmm. the ministry to that place. Um, So I don't know that there was really a a moment when I feel like that happened, but that's Mm -hmm. just the way it felt. Um, and then up here, I worked at Trevecca for a while, and I loved it. And then I was working in the admissions office when I got a call from our um, executive pastor at church who didn't know me very well. And um, she just called and said, like, hey, I know this is from the middle of nowhere, but would you ever consider being a children's pastor? And I was mm-hmm. like, no. <laughs> and so, right? Yeah, so I um, I decided to have a conversation with her just to see where it would go. And I told her and the lead pastor and the youth pastor when they um, took me to lunch one day, I was like, well, this sounds really, really great and stuff, but I think I think it's just not the right time. It's not really for me, so I hope you find who you're looking for. Hmm. And um, Pastor Howard looked at me and said, you know, I'm just going to be praying that whatever is in your way um, will leave if this is what you're supposed to do. Hmm. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's cute. That's great. Sure. Um, and then the next, over the next like 12, 24 hours or whatever, there were barriers that just kept knocking down. Um, like my master's degree was still going to be mostly paid for through Eric working at Trevecca. And wow. my boss at Trevecca was really affirmative for me. Like she was, she was amazing. It was just thing after thing after thing saying, this is, this is what you need to do. Hmm. Um, so I think my call is kind of an active thing right now. I'm, I'm still being called to children's ministry, to ministry Hmm. in general. And I love it. I'm just kind of riding this train, (laughs) seeing where I'm going. So how did you end up being the children's ministry pastor? Uh, so when Carol asked me that the executive pastor, when she asked me if I would be willing to consider it um and I said no a few times yeah she was like uh let's let's try it let's see let's see if this would work and I said well just out of curiosity why did you call me and she said uh pastor Howard and I were just in our offices one day praying over who could be the children's pastor and like you just kept coming to mind we just kept thinking of you and um and pastor Howard said um and I, I don't know that I know what this means, but he said I was looking for somebody with light in their eyes, and uh, and you're the one that I thought of. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a year. It's been a little bit over a year now, and I I love that it is my work to love on kids and families. It's unbelievable mm-hmm. to me that that's my work. Hmm. So, Eric, I know that you're bivocationally, but you're um, pretty passionate about that. Why don't you tell me more about that? I think for me, uh, for me and my personality type, um, being bivocational allows for a lot of freedom. Hmm. Not that we would ever take it back, but our time in Florida was very stressful at times <laughs> because of the politics of the church. Hmm. Um, we felt like we weren't allowed to minister in the ways that we felt like God was calling us to minister sometimes. Um, we felt like there were just barriers put in place. Being bivocational allows me to be a little bit more prophetic with people because I'm not reliant on their tithe mm. and their housing. Yeah. And God forbid that pastors are, have that held over their heads. Um, I hope that's not a common thing 
Um, but, but it's just kind of a reality. But sometimes. it's a reality sometimes. Yeah. And so being bivocational for me is like I've I've got the I've got the skills to do to work anywhere I want to, hmm. and I don't have to. I don't have to rely on the church for my income, for my food, yeah. for my housing, for my insurance. It allows it to go to places in the church that it really needs. Yeah, like be. I'm not a burden on my church, mm-hmm. and I'm also able to speak in ways that people, that other pastors may not be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a relatively healthy church here, and mm-hmm. so I don't know that that would be a huge problem generally, but I, I'm just like, I have the freedom to do and say whatever I Whatever the spirit feels, whatever spirit leads me to say and do, mm-hmm. I'm able to. I'm able to ask really hard questions of people, yeah. and not feel threatened in the slightest about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's mainly it for me. There may be some, you know, stewardship, th- more stewardship things to be said, but that's mostly it for me. Is that like I've I've got genuine freedom to speak in more prophetic ways if the spirit leads so. Do you feel like your second vocation um, gives you some insight that you wouldn't have otherwise if you were just in the church all the time? Yes, uh, most definitely. I mean, I, it's a little unique for me right now because I'm working at the university. Okay, at Trevecca. Yeah, but uh, a place that big still has a lot of, of corporateness to it mm. that um, allows me to learn a lot. I've learned a lot about leadership, a lot about communication, being able to grow and be able to, allowed to make mistakes in an environment that's got resources and with more people to bounce ideas off of um, has been incredibly helpful, incredibly helpful in how I grow and how I communicate with people. Mm. I also think that being a part of a much larger community um, every day helps with the isolation issues that sometimes can creep up with being part of a staff. Mm. You know, if I've got a, if I'm having a, a headbutting thing with someone in the office, I don't have to worry about it, it getting right back around to them. If I want to go process with someone else, Yeah, it's not a vent. It's not a like bashing. It's a, it's a process. Mm. And so, um, being able to have more than my, you know, we had five perspectives on our staff in Florida being able to have more than those five perspectives uh, coming from pastoral sides and corporate sides and older folks and younger folks and people with all different personality types is really helpful. Like it's just, it's good to be able to have that, um, that extra community, that extra wide net that I can cast for um, advice and for um, wisdom. I love that. Um, what's your favorite part about what you do? <sighs> either at the church or at the school what what gives you life what lights you up i i've i've struggled with this for a while okay like, you know sometimes i feel like maybe i am not being pastoral enough sometimes mm. but in the last few months um both at trevecca and at the church i've i've nailed down what right now is is driving me in my daily work and that is the ability to, uh, to the best of my ability, to remove as many impediments to genuine worship as I possibly can. Like, I have a lot of ability to eliminate distractions in our worship services, which 
in my opinion, it, it allows the spirit to have more room to move around. Mm. Um, it's not that we're sitting here uh, planning out every second of a service um, down to the T, because we never do. Like, we get really close, and then it's like, well, we're going to have to move this around, move that around. But when I can sit there, and when I can know that I've done everything in my power to help my team, to help Sam, to help our other worship pastor, Christy, to do their jobs perfectly and to allow the body to come together and prepare to receive the word in a way that's um, as distraction-free as possible, I know I've done my job and I feel great about it. Mm. Um, and that's, that's just on the, the church service side. That, so that, that's the biggest part. I also thoroughly enjoy running our fairly large small group at this point. That you know that that's where I get to to address some our medium group, our, our medium sized group. <laughs> yeah, we just started it, and we're gonna have to probably split it at some point already. <laughs> like that's that's where I get to really dive into tough theological questions and to shepherd people. But yeah, hope that answers it. It's it's a weird answer I think but no, I love it that's great um Kayla kind of tell me about you what is your favorite part about what you do um I love people I'm very much a people person like a full-on extrovert need to be with people and I love little people in particular um and it's so it's so fun to watch them the moments when they realize that you do see them and you're not seeing them as a potential human or like as a developing human you're seeing them as a person already you're you're who you are and um and I love that and um so we just had a moment like Sunday night one of my kids that just graduated up into middle school was standing in the gym and um and so I just stopped him I was like Kyler how, how's it going like how is middle middle school going and he was just real with me like I hate keeping a schedule and it like my teacher stinks and I don't like I like ag class but that's it and um and it just like it was a dumb like two minute conversation but to me that felt like he he sees me as his friend and that was huge. So, um, so getting those moments where I really do have the, the chance to see them as people and have them see me as a person instead of just a, an adult is fantastic. Um, I love potential. So that, that is big in kids too, uh, that they, they have just this unlimited potential to be whoever they want to be and to have the chance to partner with that is, is pretty neat to me. So yeah, I love it. What has surprised you most about children's ministry? Maybe something you weren't expecting? Yeah. Um, well, I like I kind of f- float this line between being like both eight and eighty-five at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> like I know like I I love liturgy and old things. Like I went to our first service in um at Hermitage, which is like the the old people like I loved it and hymns and, and like that was my jam and then they asked me to do children's ministry so I'm not there anymore and I miss it but like that married with like I'm gonna do this slip and slide with you kids because why would I why would I set up a slip and slide and not do a slip and slide like there's no point in that so so um like trying to, trying to mesh those is interesting um 
because there are points when I get really frustrated at children's ministry. Like, I don't want cutesy. Like, not a second do I want to do silly little songs of waving your hands in the air and stuff. I don't I don't want that. And I, I, I don't think my kids do either. That's the thing. Like, I don't think that – I think that they want to be seen as, like I said, seen as people, like, that have interests that go beyond what the box is. So – um, that's probably a, a strange part to me is first the realization that I don't like those things. And then the navigation of like, what do I want then? Like, I don't, I don't know what I want necessarily, but I know it when I see it. Um, that's interesting for me. Being in a, in a healthy, larger church is interesting too, because we do have pretty definitive ministry areas. So we have a preschool ministry, children's ministry, middle school ministry, high school ministry, whatever. And, um, and I, I really like, don't, I don't like the model of segmented ministries. I really would prefer family ministries and intergenerational. So navigating the need for that, the need for the segmented, like, age-appropriate things, and then my desire for more intergenerational, um, that's, an inter- that's an interesting piece, too. No, that totally makes sense. Um, what advice would you have for somebody who's maybe starting children's ministry for the first time, somebody who's never done it, who's just getting in, just getting started? So, like, me a year ago? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, I think you have to have a network you have to have people you can call and say, um, how did you do this? What did you navigate this with? And to know that that network is a place where you can get ideas that are both good and bad. You can hear somebody and say like, yeah, uh-uh, nope, not going to work in my context and just be comfortable with that. I was able to call up our, our friend Dylan, who was in Florida with us for a while as the children's pastor. I've called him more times than anyone else, I think, just to say like, how, how, I don't know. Um, And then I have a great resource at my church, Um, the executive pastor, Carol, she was the children's pastor before me um, for like 15, 16 Mm -hmm. years. So she, she knows this context and is the expert there, but I would tell a new pastor, a new children's pastor, yes, somebody who knows your context is fantastic, but you also have to have a network of people who know the subject matter, like they know children's ministry um, and then apply it to your context. That's great. Um, Okay, so maybe this is a question for the both of you. What is the hardest part about you both as a couple being in ministry? Oh. You want to do that one? (laughs) Um, I think it is, I think for me, it is navigating, like, how do I have him partner with me in children's ministry when children's ministry is not his jam? Like, that is not his deal. So how can I be, how can I mobilize him in it and have him be an integral part and have the kids see him being, being an integral part without pushing him to a place of like, this is, this is not you. Like, you don't need to be here. You're not going to do the slip and slide with the kids, guarantee. But he can clean up the mess. So like, go clean up the mess. That'll work, you know? Um, and just being content with that too, because we're very different people with different calls and different strengths. There are days that I'm not as comfortable with that. And there are days that I really am, you know, it's, it really, 
is, I mean, that's like our marriage in a nutshell. Yeah. Like we're just very different. So, um, but it's great. Like it really does complement well that he has this strength set that I would never even touch. Like I have no idea how to do so much of this. And like the last thing I want to do is clean up after, after a big event. Like I don't want to do that. So thanks buddy. (laughs) Appreciate it. Yeah. It's, that's probably the big, that is probably the biggest thing about being the worst part of being in ministry together is the same thing that we deal with every day in our marriage. <laughs> it's just the fact that I'm a I'm a silent server and, and I'm obnoxious. And she <laughs> is a loud feeler. Right. And that's okay. You know, we've that, yeah, that, that's the hardest part. Is just knowing that like we each have our strengths and the hardest part <laughs> is sometimes when she's like why don't you want to come on the slip and slide? Come on, come play with us. And I was like, I can't because I don't want to. <laughs> right. I'll I'll help you do everything. I'll be there every Saturday to help you set up everything. But he's so not interested in the kids making like slime and like doing this crazy fart joke. Like he's totally not in. <laughs> Remember how I said like I knew after my youth ministry internship that's not where I needed to be. That's why. <laughs> what is the best part about bo- you both being in a ministry? I can answer that, for me anyway. It's just the, be- the ability to be with each other and grow together. Um, even when she wasn't a pastor, she was my partner. So we, we've, we've been together since our freshman year of college, my freshman year of college. And she's been along the, the ride the whole time. She's been there with me studying... New Testament theology and me failing Hebrew, and I mean, he she knows more. She knows more Hebrew than I do because of the flashcards. It's like she's been there the whole time, and so like being able to know that we are in this together, and that it's our call, and that we are going to support each other, is the, is the best part. Like absolutely. we we know that we have each other's back. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean I kind of mentioned it before. Like even when. I mean, it was clear that Eric was the one that was called to the church first. Like, he he was the associate pastor. He was the one doing this ministry. I still felt very much a part of that. And I think that is a testament to, to Eric, too, that, I mean, he invited me into this. There's never been a moment that I felt like I was not invited into being a pastor with him. So I'm, I think I'm learning that my call extends much further than I thought it did. Um, I was not just called last year, I don't think, because because I've been invited along the whole time, which has been a mm. joy. It's been a joy, for sure. Beautiful. So the last question I ask everybody is, and, and maybe each of you could answer this for, for yourself, um, what inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here? I... I'm so grateful to this church for raising me, um, for finding me and giving me a voice. Um, I started in the Church of the Nazarene in a time when I really needed to find myself. And I mean, any nine-year-old needs to do that anyway. But having been a, a child of a divorced family and moving and all that, I mean, just traumatic stuff for a nine-year-old, I'm sure. Finding a, a, a people that were willing to be my tribe when I didn't know I needed a tribe. Um, and then, I mean, just instrumental, instrumental people along the way who invited me deeper and deeper and deeper into this family of people who love each other. I mean, it's 
it has been amazing to know that I, I have people in my corner across the world and it's, it's not superfluous. It's not silly. Like it's, it's not just something by name. It's not just because they're called Nazarenes, but because they're called Tim and they're called Dylan and they're called Heather and they know me. And that like, that is why I will not leave. Like I will not go anywhere. The change doesn't happen if we're not here. So we'll be here and we will love this place that has loved us. I'd say my reasons are very similar. Initially, it's because I don't want to change. I've worked hard to make the friends I've got, and I don't want to go try to make new friends in the Methodist <laughs> districts. Um, but it's also it's also a loyalty. I, I believe in the Church of the Nazarene. I believe in what it believes in, um, in general. Specifically, you know, we all have our things. But that's the whole point, was we can. We're allowed to. The big tent. We're, we're, we're allowed to have our differences, and that's that's great to me. Yeah, it's just, they, they, they raised me, they, they let me, they, they called me. They're my people. It's hard looking back at a lot of people I graduated college with and seeing who's in ministry at all, who's even in the Church of the Nazarene anymore, who gave up. And that's fine. Like, they're allowed to. Like, that's, that's what's best for them, and I'm okay with that. But I belong here. Mm. With all of its quirks and all of its familiar, familial interests that, you know, give it its own personality. Like, this is, this is where we belong, and we're called to be a part of it, be a part of the change that we know needs to come. So, yeah. I love that. Um, if someone had a question for you or just wanted to reach out to you, hang out with you, where can they reach you? How can they find you? Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm on Facebook, but I don't do it very much. I guess for me, my best one is uh, uh you just email me. I'm pastor. Eric. Two three four two at gmail. dot com. And you can find me on any of the social media places spaces. Um, so Facebook is Kayla McMahon Smith, and um, Instagram is Kayla McSmith. And there you go. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, you're thanks, very welcome. Brit. Thanks for having us.